the Ascensoric! The Ascensoric! It's distraction! I'm Drew! I'm Roth! I'm Roth! Guten, guten Morgen, how are you? I have a, I have a, a, a reason I, I greeted you in German, and I'm, it's from a letter from a reader. This was, I did this specifically for one reader, and I'm going to read the letter to you now, <laughs> and then you're going to say, oh, 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 wasn't that so mirthful and funny? You ready? Yeah. All right, this is from let's Rob. Get, let's get mirthful. All right, Rob wrote in, he said, I'm not sure if I'm the distraction's only listener based in Austria. But from time to time, my weekly episode of The Distraction opens with a brief advertisement in German. Like everywhere else, these advertisements are loud and obnoxious, and because they don't lead into every episode, they come somewhat unexpectedly. And it never ceases to kill me how they lead directly into Drew's <laughs> suddenly very German-sounding, We're back! We're back! <laughs> As an American living in a German-speaking country and one who spends a lot of his day navigating the world in another language, I'm not fluent, but I can get by, it always takes me an extra beat or two before my brain goes, oh, that's English. Drew is speaking <laughs> English. There's no question here, but if Drew ever dropped a Wirsten Zurich on the pod, I might honestly not even catch the difference. So yeah. let's find out if Rob uh, is phased at all uh, or as phased by you were. As you were by. I like the idea of someone listening to this podcast the same way they listen to like jazz, where they're like, it's just sounds and beats, man. Like, I don't really, I never know what they're talking about. I don't follow sports and I don't know what either of these guys look like. <laughs> I just find it kind of interesting when one of them's like, wah, wah, wah. And then the other one's like, mm, mm, mm. My, <laughs> my wife, she uh, she's half German, half Armenian. And we went to Germany. This is a long time ago, 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, uh, to meet her extended German family. And she taught me some like German beforehand. So like I had to learn, uh, ich liebe dich. That's I love you. And ich möchte ein, ein Bier. I'd like a beer. Uh, that was very important to me at the time. Yeah. And so I go, I, I meet the German relatives and I'm like, ich liebe dich and ich möchte ein Bier. And they're laughing because I'm so shitty with my German. <laughs> and then one of her, uh, like her, uh, her cousin's husband told me that I wasn't very good at speaking English. And I was like, motherfucker. I was like, bitch, I'm from America. I know, I know this language better than you. Yeah, but, uh, at the very least, I know my limitations. I'm bad in a charming way. It was an yeah. extremely, it was an extremely German move. To I was going to say, it really is. I think that that's something that Germans, if they didn't feel good about it, it would be weird. The fact that the average German speaks significantly better English than the average American does, like, they should be patting themselves on the back for that. It's a little weird. It's not the weirdest thing about the country. I can come up, I just thought of one really obvious one. But there's there's still something about the uh, the experience of being over there and getting busted for, like, I think that this is, I've never been good enough at another language to really have this experience. But there's a very particular type of thrill to being in a foreign country, speaking their language and having people react with surprise because it's like you just look like such a clown that that, <laughs> that you doing it even remotely well to them is remarkable. My my brother-in-law speaks fluent Thai. He is an academic, focuses oh, on wow. Thai. And he's just like, you know, a guy from Ohio, like great dude, but speaks Thai so well that when he goes to Thailand or even when we go to like a Thai restaurant that I was in a cab with him over there when my wife and I were in Thailand on vacation with them years ago when he they were living there and he was speaking Thai to the cab driver and the cab driver was like, hold on, let me call my girlfriend. And he like called her and was like, yo, I got a white guy back here. You should talk to him. And then <laughs> just, <laughs> he had to like talk to her on the phone and be like, yeah. No, I'm white. I'm like a guy from America, <laughs> which I like that you got the New York experience of a cabbie taking a call and just being oh, on yeah. the phone the, for the entire ride. That's a very New yep. York cabbie move. Felt like home. <laughs> <laughs> I did. By the way, uh, I hate to say this, but Roth, I had no idea you had a brother uh, until you. A oh, brother-in-law. Brother-in-law. Oh, your brother-in-law. All yes, right. Yes, I have right, a sister. Right. She's uh, great. Uh, oh, okay. All right. All right. Yeah. yeah, I remember one time I went to Barcelona. Uh, oh really? 1997, and I okay I had taken Spanish in you know in you know in high school and uh, and at college for a few years, and like I was okay in Spanglish. I was fluent in Spanglish. I spent ten weeks in Mexico my senior year at Exeter, and so I was like I you know I was trying my best to like speak the language of the locals, right? So yeah. I go to I go to Barcelona, 
And I like, I start asking for a fucking, I don't know, patatas bravas at a restaurant or at a counter. And like, I'm like, I'm like four words in before the, <laughs> before the, before the waiter is like, let me just stop you right there. Yep. Just, <laughs> just speak English. We speak English. It's fine. Yeah. Don't. You're like, don't. I couldn't say potatoes in a way that you would accept. That is like really humbling. That's a tough one. That's yeah. I, I studied in Italy and I was a bad Italian student. I was only, I never learned the subjunctive. So I could only <laughs> express myself in the most forceful, objective possible way. Like, which is the opposite. I mean, longtime listeners will know that I'm like kind of a big qualifier guy. Whereas in Italy, I was just like basically doing the equivalent of like McBain popping out of the like fucking ice to see you cake every time I said anything to anybody. <laughs> did you do the thing where like you spoke English, but you did it like with an Italian lilt? So like you thought it would help? Like, <laughs> oh, I definitely, when I, when my vocabulary gave out, I would hey, just. Hey, you have the pizza? <laughs> I would just throw a vowel at the end of the English word and just sort of be like, eh? is that it? What is <laughs> What's the word you guys have for asparagus? Is it asparaguso? Where uh, is the museum? Uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Just doing Madone hands until someone's like, I'm going to find you someone that speaks whatever language they speak in the cave that you come from. Uh, speaking of foreign countries, you were in Arizona earlier. <laughs> I'm glad you said it like that. Why? So you've um, been. What, uh, why were you in Arizona? Great question. Like, like, you, were, were, was there like a legal obligation? Did like, did you have to go in front of a judge or something like that? Yeah, I was really mean to Blake Masters in a story, and I had to go apologize to him in person to head off a lawsuit. Understood. I went to his went to his hacienda. I shot a handgun. Uh, he didn't blink the entire three hours we were there. Ooh. No, I went there to go uh, see my. Well, I had some friends that grew up in Tucson. One of them, uh, Jay, I went to school with. Was it Gronk? And they're big University of Arizona guys. Uh, as people that grow up in Tucson tend to be. So I went out there and watched the Arizona UCLA game. And uh, I guess like I would have to say like drank as if I was like 20 years younger than I am. Ooh, that sounds fun. Yeah, that part was cool. I mean, parts of it were cool. The parts at night were cool. Parts in the morning sucked ass. Uh, Obviously, I wasn't drinking in the morning. I was recovering from drinking in the morning. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, it was a great time. And like, I think also just it was nice to uh, be out of my usual context. Did you have the and hot dog? Did you have the hot dog wrapped in bacon? I did. I had it, I think, under the circumstances you're supposed to have it, which is I went straight from the airport to a bar to meet them when I flew in on Friday. Fuck so my yeah. internal dials were spinning backwards like I was in the fucking Bermuda Triangle. And then, like, I hadn't eaten anything. Like, I'd eaten... Uh, little little bag of Gardettos they give you on one leg of the flight, and then on the next one I got, like, a little... Uh, tiny waffle cookie and that was like all the food i had for like six or seven hours the stroop waffle had a little mini stroop waffle fucking love a stroop waffle it was good now i wouldn't recommend making it your dinner but it's a terrific snack and then as we were leaving the bar uh i was like you know what i should i should probably get one of those i think it would be the smart move right now to get a sonoran hot dog yeah and so i don't think i got like the i all these i got a lot of nice recommendations on like where you're supposed to get the good sonoran hot dog um that wasn't really where I was, uh, like in terms of my geographic location or emotionally at that yeah, time. Yeah, right, right. I right. needed it to be handed to me from out of the window of a van, and then I would be like, "Greetums" or whatever like sounds were coming out of my mouth at that time. <laughs> it was good though. I had a, it, I had a really nice time. And did you uh, get the, did you get the sort of the West Coast second wind? Like it, where like you're on the plane and you're fucking tired. And like, you know, it's it's like, it's 2 p.m. when you land, but you're like, well, it's five o'clock, I, you know, like I, I'm not going to make it through the day. But then like you get out into like the sun and you like, you have a drink or some, or you're, you know, you have a joint and you're like, fuck, I could party all night suddenly. Yeah, I did kind of get that back, when my legs back under me on Saturday that way. I think it was mostly like, I knew this is the, you know, you're sort of playing against yourself if you're trying to do fun shit as a middle-aged man that like I knew my tendency because I was doing the thing where I was like adding hours and I was like, it actually would be very reasonable for me to go to bed right now. Like no one would be allowed to make fun of me if I went to bed right now. But that's like why I didn't go to the place we were staying. It's why I brought my fucking duffel bag to a dive bar with like literal bikers in it. Ah, it was like, if I, did, if I didn't do that, I would have been fucked and I would have missed out on, you know, whatever one third of the fun times that I had. Yeah. Cause you end up doing that sort of jet lag calculus in your brain, like for the, the first few hours where I was like, well, it's not, it's not really 2 PM. And then you're like, no, no, no. You're, and I got to stay up. I should stay up till 2 AM to, uh, so that I sleep till, till 10 AM the next day. And then that never happens. You wake up at fucking 3 AM anyway. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's like all the, I mean, whatever, this is just the, the season of life that we're in, but it is like, you're, it's like a negotiated surrender every way that you slice it. And the angel and the devil on your shoulders are both like super dumb and making bad arguments. So you just have to like pick the move that feels right for you. We're going to talk about um, the conference championship games in a bit, but actually I want to talk about serious business with you. Uh, Let's talk first about what happened at Sports Illustrated last week. On Friday morning, I got a text from our dear, dear beloved friend, Rohan Nadkarni. Oh, I love his work. And Rohan texted saying that he and everyone else on staff at SI had just been laid off via a mass email. And the next text I got from him was like, I guess we don't exist anymore. And I was like, that sounds bad. Yeah. So that email leaked to the public later that day when news broke that Authentic Brands Group, which owns Sports not Rohan's, the mass email, the mass email, yes. yes, yeah, yeah, not the text message. Um, anyway, Authentic Brands Group, which owns Sports Illustrated, was terminating its agreement with Arena, which it had which it had enlisted to run the magazine, but then because they terminated the agreement with Arena, they had no one to run Sports Illustrated, so they let go of everyone. Some of them were let go immediately. And some were given a 90-day stay of execution, like Rohan and our dear friend Emma Bachelieri. So I want to go through a few questions with you. Because first of all, it's not entirely clear what's going to happen because Authentic Brands Group has already said, well, we might license it out to somebody else and keep SI going. But there's a very good chance that either no one buys it or whoever they license it out to is somehow even worse than yep. the people they are in charge of it. Um, do you think anyone will buy Sports Illustrated? Do you think do you think it has value? And I'm I'm asking you that we are obviously very, very fond of the people there who do great work, Rohan and Emma included, and people that we don't have a, uh, that we haven't worked with in her. But um but we know that the brand has been devalued so thoroughly over the past five, ten years. Uh you know, can can Sports Illustrated exist right now? So I think the answer is yes. I think it does have value. I also don't know if that necessarily means that anyone's going to buy it. Does that make sense to you? No, I I agree. I, I worry that it is now at the stage that the GQ is at where it doesn't exist as a journalistic brand so much as it does something you slap, uh, you know, on the, you know, on the scrim behind like a red carpet yeah. At a, a, a corporate promotional event or something yep. like that. Which is, I mean, that's basically what, I, so I had to explain this to some friends over the weekend. And like, it's incredible when you try to explain what Sports Illustrated's actual situation is now. Like what, it's the, impossible. Just the, the basic blocking and tackling of like, in what way does it exist? Right. It really is like astonishingly dark and strange. So briefly- and you correct me if I get any of this shit wrong. I have written about it, but not recently. Authentic Brands Group bought basically the right to the Sports Illustrated logo. They bought the word mark and they bought the brand. And they've put it on – when McQuaid and I went to the mall when we were at our uh, work retreat in Pennsylvania, they had like dry fit workout wear with like the Sports Illustrated logo on the inside of it. That's what Authentic Brand Group is doing with it. That's Defector Philly it, correspondent Dan McQuaid for people Dan who Dan McQuaid uh, and our, our mall beat bureau chief. Yes. Uh, the so that's what they've done with Sports Illustrated. Authentic Brands Group doesn't run anything. They buy things that seem iconic to them. They own like the right to Marilyn Monroe's autograph. Yeah, they like own. That. I think they own Elvis and shit like that. Yeah, Eric has uh, alerted us to the fact. Not only is it um, Elvis and Marilyn Monroe, also among the other iconic brands that they own, Billabong, the big three. Yeah, uh, maybe they <laughs> own. Maybe they own Sex Wax too. That would be cool. Yeah, they actually, they own the entire Big Johnson family of brands. Big Johnson Omnimedia. Uh, <laughs> Co- co-ed, naked, everything like that. Every yeah, which is, I mean, so obviously they've done some good work. But I mean, but any what happens with this, I mean, this is basically, if you could take a grave robbing and then optimize it so that you could raise capital around that work, that's Ooh, more that's or less fun. what they do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's nice. It's, a, it's an honorable posi- uh, profession, one of the oldest. Right. But in this instance, so they licensed the right to the Sports Illustrated that exists, not the logo that you can put on your brain pills, which they also sell those, but the magazine to the Arena Group. And the Arena Group, I've 
definitely written about. And that is a group that has they uh, their old publisher had briefly was in charge of the Los Angeles Times. That didn't work out only because of the fact that there was a sort of a sex scandal thing involving him and he had to take a leave. That was Ross Levinson. Ross Levinson. We love his work, you know. Who resigned in the wake of this saying he couldn't believe what uh, what they had done to Sports Illustrated. And that was some real pot kettle black shit. Yeah, that there's was a like, good, oh. Drew in Slack was talking about it. He's like, I'm so fucking sick of the hot dog man meme. However, right. I'm willing to make an exception in this case for Ross Levinson doing that. We're all trying to find out who did this. He actually, that guy is the reason that I am not currently working at Sports Illustrated. I've, I think yeah. I've told the story before, but in 2019... I was given a lucrative offer to leave Deadspin to go to Sports Illustrated. That offer was made by Chris Stone, who was running SI at the time. And there was the offer was made and Chris Chris Stone was like, "Okay, I have it. I have the contract drawn up and I'm going to send it to you. We just uh just give me a, a second." And like weeks passed and then Ross took over and then fired Chris Stone and then I went to the guy that replaced Chris Stone, Stephen Canella, and I was like, well, "Where's this offer?" And he's like, "He's like, uh, oh well, you know, uh, you, that's not really there, but I'd love to have lunch with you sometime." And I was like, "Bitch, I don't want lunch. Like, I want yeah. my money." And he's like, "Well, I'll, <laughs> that's that's." He's like, "That's a bit forward of you. I'll, I'll continue to admire your work from afar." And I was like, "Fuck you, man." Really? Oh, so they were like scandalized by you being like, "No, a job with a salary. Like, I don't want to." He was taken aback by the fact that I was like quite forward in like, you guys made me an offer and I want you to honor the offer you made me. Like, I, I don't want fucking lunch with you. Like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pitch you. I'm not gonna go grovel to you for a job that you've already fucking offered me. Uh, and he was like, he thought that was like, I don't know. Uh, he pulled the David Brooker. Like, oh, I guess that's not terribly civil, but like, whatever. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry that you uh, scandalized the publisher or whatever it was of Sports Illustrated. Anyway, the, that- The point being that, like, that, like this guy had no, this guy, Ross Levinson, had no, no, like, to stand out in defending the integrity of fucking Sports yeah. Illustrated. Also, and this is the thing that I keep coming back to and talking about it. So he had an idea for what Sports Illustrated was going to be. It was the same idea he had for what the Los Angeles Times was going to be. And that idea was basically espionation.com when right. I used to work there. That's so right. it is like some journalists doing good work on top of this edifice of underpaid or entirely unpaid team-specific blogging, local stuff. And then obviously, as we found out earlier this year, uh, SEO gigging, spammy, AI-written shit uh, that was designed to just like show up in search results and make money off affiliate links, which is like the absolute bottom. That's like websites do that it's basically the same thing as like a person selling their blood that's more or less what that is i mean it's what fedspin does now so yeah to a certain extent i mean they do that i think that the the ai stuff is like that's actually like kind of startling even for levinson standards i knew that they did a lot of like affiliate link and search engine optimization shit all of that is like kind of the opposite of journalism and it's really hard to do it and do journalism at the same time I guess it makes more money or at the very least for guys like this that don't have any understanding of like what people actually value or look for in their reading experiences, they would effectively scan the same. So they would be like, well, why are we paying whatever SL price, the salary that we're paying when we could just pay like some outside concern to uh, procedurally generate a guide to buying volleyball equipment? (laughs) <laughs> which it's all obviously very grim. It's a bit of corporate womanizing in a way where basically, you know, guys come in and they denigrate the product for a short-term profit that they that they reap, right? Like, yes. you know, Rohan's not getting any of that money, right? No, of course not. And and then they know it's not they know it's not going to thrive in the long term. But that doesn't matter because once they get their money and the place has gone to shit, they can just buy another joint and do the same thing all over again. Yep. So and it seems to be that, again, that's what happened to us. Yep. At Deadspin, it's what happened to all the GMG sites. But the extent to which it is happening everywhere is the part that I keep coming back to and, and being frustrated by with this. Because I think that Sports Illustrated has value in the sense that people read it. They're doing best-in-class work still, even under these conditions. And yet, I think maybe it doesn't have the value that it would be required to like service the amount of debt 
that they have maybe or to pay the licensing fees or whatever. But if they started fresh and it's those writers, then yes, people would subscribe to it. Also, they have this incredible archive of the best sports writing that's ever been done in the United States. Yeah. Which they have never successfully monetized or even made searchable in a reasonable way. Like it's all broken HTML and shit. Yeah. Like if someone cared about it, it's fixable. It just hasn't been owned by anybody that cared about it in like, it feels like 10 years, like you said. And it's it's invaluable. I mean, I, I read it growing up. I read aside growing up. And of course, that was back when, you know, if your team wasn't on television, because you couldn't always see your team if you didn't live in yeah. the town or whatever. And so if you read about them in Sports Illustrated or if they were on the cover, that was a big fucking deal. It meant yeah, a man. lot. Like the cover was iconic. And I know that's boomer talk. And I'm not like, I'm not pining for like, oh, I wish the internet didn't exist or any of that shit. But the value of those memories and of the journalism that made those memories so indelible, that is valuable. And it's especially valuable if, you know, if it's someone like you or me and we're, you know, we're, you know, we're, we're approaching 50. And so we're in the sort of boomer sector of sports writing, but you know, it's when I write now, I think it's valuable to sort of reminisce, not in the sort of, not in the empty sort of remember when sort of. Yeah, right. We're not trying to be like the fucking Pepperidge Farm guy on the porch. Right, but to to educate people. So like Charlie Pierce wrote a profile of Chris Berman for Sports Illustrated. And it was, you know, and one of the things I always remembered was Eddie DeBartolo, who owned the 49ers at the time, wanted to give Berman a Super Bowl ring, which I always found utterly fucking (laughs) repulsive. Like on from all parties involved. That's very Eddie DeBartolo, though. He's got the kind of like the the good version of a lot of Joe Pesci's iconic uh, Scorsese characters, just being like such a great guy. You know, Chris, I love your work. Yeah, fucking backslapper, right? Yeah, but like that's a valuable thing to like if someone who's twenty five is reading Defector or, or wherever else you're working. Like it's valuable to like tell them, oh, hey, you know that old guy who does three minutes of, of highlights on Monday night football. And you don't even know why he's just showing like yeah. literally one still from a game. And then the score, like you're not getting any value out of that. Well, he turns out that like, he was like the founding face of ESPN. Oh, and he's absolutely fucking in the tank for like people who are nice to him, you know, like, yeah. like all that is like valuable shit. And SI provided so much of that background information uh, you know, the stuff, the kind of stuff that lasts and, and feeds into more journalism going forward. Yeah. And I don't want to get like too doomy on it, um, even though I know people love it when I get too doomy on it. Yeah, right. But I feel like pulling that shit up by the roots, like if it doesn't exist anymore, if that archive isn't there, then what most because it's sports, it's like it only matters so much. Right. That like knowing the truth about Chris Berman is cool. It's better than not knowing things. I'm just I think as a general rule baseline wise better to know stuff than to not know stuff but it's not the sort of thing where you know suddenly no one remembers what the civil rights act is because the website went away but well you know i mean the the election in november will decide right i was gonna say yeah it might be that everybody's gonna be remembering it soon if meatball ron had had his way roth r.i.p obviously to the legend but what i'm saying is that like it's the principle of the thing if you believe that any of this matters and none of the people that own these sites currently do they're all fucking business guys playing business games with each other then this stuff needs to be owned by people that care about it this is why i mean i don't want to make it like about defector but like the thing that we have going for us beyond you know, the the people that write there, which is obviously, I think, the number one thing, is that this is all that any of us want to do. Like, we right. would like to make more money than we spend, and so far we've figured out how to do that. But this is it. Like, we're not trying to trick some other fucking rich guy into the idea that this is, that secretly we're actually going to make money like Uber makes money or whatever. We're cash now Speak for business. yourself. I actually had a meeting with Peter Thiel to sell this guy. <laughs> Drew is leveraging our shit. No. He sold my blood to Peter Thiel. Well, there's there, there's a couple things. One is that, um, you know, the thing that's happening to Sports Illustrated now, Sports Illustrated right now, has happened to m- countless other publications. It's happening yeah. right now to the Baltimore Sun, which just fell into the hands of private equity. It's fu- it's happening to the LA Times, which just had its uh, EIC resign in the wake of uh, you know corporate fuckery, and so you know the idea that places like us are sort of the last stand for journalism. Well, that's, you know, that's heartening for you and I because 
we are at Defector and we have jobs and stuff like that. But it seems like there needs to be a higher level of intervention here. Like it can't just be grassroots. Like we're going to need, we're going to need like Joe Biden to notice this, right? We're going to need uh, a movement that, a national movement in favor of journalism, which is hard to do because one side of the political spectrum is essentially anti-journalism. They don't right. want journalism. Well, they have a sort. lot invested in people being fucking dumber and angrier. Yeah. Like that, that is, you can't, there isn't a policy platform on the right where they're, they're not even making like affirmative arguments for a lot of this stuff anymore. They don't have a platform. There is no platform. Yeah. So what you, and I think that, you know, whatever, obviously there is, I think a great deal of interest on the center left for, towards creating. I mean, there has been some movement. A lot of this is like by organizations that are linked one way or another to the DLC, trying to like sort of start the equivalent of the sort of conservative websites that dominate on Facebook and all of this shit. Right. That's not great either. The fact of it is, though, that I think that there is still, and this is like, I guess optimistic. I don't know. We'll see where I finish. I'm going to start talking and then we'll, we'll see where I land. You can tell me. I think people still want to know this stuff. I think people yes. would prefer not to be fucking lied to straight to their face. Not all people. Some people really like being lied to. And that's, uh, you know, I don't want to yuck anybody's yum, but that doesn't, that doesn't strike me as any sort of way to be. The no. challenge with all of this is that the businesses, the institutions, like you said, the Baltimore Sun is now owned by the guy that owns the fucking Sinclair cable networks. He right. hates it when people know things. It yep. was bought from Alden Gl- Global Capital, which is a private equity firm, like you said, that doesn't care one way or another. Their business is draining newspapers of their life and then selling the buildings that they used to be in. And then they move on and they do it again. That's right. So if we're waiting for rich people, and the Los Angeles Times is owned by a guy who made a bunch of money in medical devices, he's a billionaire, eventually he got bored. That's the other way it could go. And then in some ways, that's the best type of owner that you could hope for. The challenge with all of this, it's not going to have to necessarily be a rich person that saves it. It's just that I think that there is still demand for it. Obviously, there are a lot of people, a lot of them now unemployed, who can deliver the sort of quality work that people want to pay for. Absolutely. The challenge is that I think a lot of the legacy institutions are going to go to zero, or they're going to become something that is unrecognizable to anyone that remembers them. And that the thing that's going to replace the Baltimore Sun for people in that part of the country that want to know what's going on in local government and know what's going on, even with like the sports team or whatever, is going to be... It'll be the Baltimore Banner. It'll be a free paper. It'll be some other new thing that is run in a new way because the rich guys are never going to fucking care about it. They no. like It's the opposite of that. But I don't think that that means that we're going to have to spend the rest of our lives working and working and working to try to figure out if something is true. There's still a business to be made in telling people things that are true. I also want to note, and I said it um in the, in the fun bag this week, but I, I want to reiterate it. Um, one of the things that happens in the wake of, of this is other journalists saying, ah, oh, this industry sucks. Please don't get into it. You know, there's yep. no money. You'll never get a job, stuff like that. I find that counterproductive. And I just like uh, to yeah, say it too. to anybody um, aspiring to be a journalist, please don't give up. Please don't listen to other journalists dissuading you from from this vocation. It will not be easy, but succeeding in any field is fucking hard because every business is cutthroat in me. Yep. Um, also, the part that sucks about it is the part that is going away. It's the fucking bosses. It's getting bled out by some fucking VC thing. The work is cool. Yeah. And the work is going to be there. Right. It's just going to be that we don't necessarily know yet what shape those institutions are going to take. Like, it's. I hope that a lot of them look like Defector and they're owned by the people that work there. I think it's the only way to make sure that you don't get screwed over by some rich guy who winds up hating what you do. But I mean, I don't think that, I think that not just to underline your point, Drew, if people really want to do this, like it's important that you do it because you're going to be the ones that are like hungry enough and smart enough and younger enough than me and Drew to figure out how it's actually going to get done. Yeah. We need you. We need you the way we need Rohan and Emma and everybody else. So please don't give up because we will, we will support you. Any way we can, even if it's from afar. We have to take a break. We're going to talk about 
uh, the NFL. Uh, but before we get to the break, tired of penis pumps that don't work? Yes. Oh, why not try Extensus, the first strap-on dildo for men? Simply slip <laughs> Extensus over your own penis and whoa, you're two inches bigger. No pills, no pumps, no surgery. That's Extensus, available only at GameStop. We'll be right back. <laughs> I'll just simply slip it over my own penis. Hey, it's Drew. This episode of The Distraction is brought to you by Wild Grain. Wild Grain is the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. I have had not only their loaves of bread, but also their pasta and Wild Grain's chocolate chip cookies, which are really, really good. I I thoroughly enjoy their frozen chocolate chip cookies. And now you can fully customize your Wild Grain box. So you can get any combination of breads, pastas, and pastries you like. If you want a box of all bread, all pasta, or all pastries, you can have it. Plus, for a limited time, you can get $30 off your first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash distraction to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash distraction. That's wildgrain.com slash distraction. Or you can use the promo code distraction at checkout. The distraction is sponsored by BetterHelp. It is a new year. It's January as you listen to this and a good time, therefore, to start establishing good habits and routines. Therapy can be an important part of your self-care practice, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. It works that way for me. It's an important tool to consider if you're looking to learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, even if you're someone who hasn't experienced any kind of major trauma. And if you want to try therapy and you're not sure where to start, BetterHelp can be a great tool to keep in mind. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. Switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Getting along well with your therapist and feeling like you can really open up to them is an important part of what makes therapy work. And being able to switch therapists for no additional charge is an important feature of BetterHelp. So start your year off right and be kind to yourself with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash distraction today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash distraction. We're back with David Roth. Wow, the rare, what a get. Hey, thanks for having me. This is great. You mind if I promote my stuff? It's called Extensus. It's a it's a penile. It's Extensus <laughs> Roth, and it's a serious business. Thank you. One of our most important sponsors. They help support I'm the sorry. podcast. You take that. I don't want to. I don't want it to sound like I uh, was was in any way denigrating the work that Extensus Corp. This sort uh, of thing is my bag, baby. <laughs> <laughs> We we live somewhat near a town called Kensington, and every time my wife goes to Kensington, I affect the Austin Powers voice, and I say, "Mrs. Kensington, the birds on Carnaby Street." Yeah, we uh, all love to do a Austin Powers voice when we can. We have done the the existential talk about journalism. Now it's time to talk about football. Here are your the conference, Ravens. <laughs> here are your conference title game matchups. Roth Ravens Chiefs in the AFC, Lions Niners in the NFC. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but Lions-Ravens is the only way to go here for neutral fans. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I think everybody's kind of fucking sick of the Niners and the Chiefs at this point. Not necessarily through no fault of their own, either. That, like, the Chiefs are more annoying and less electric than they've ever been. And the Niners really feel uh, not even, like, played out or anything like that. I guess I'm just kind of, like, sick of watching Brock Purdy. Uh, under throw balls and stuff like that. Like, I'd rather see something else. He was awful in the Green Bay game. And I don't say that, like, obviously I was rooting for him in the Green Bay game. I want him to beat the shit out of Green Bay. But like for, you know, the first 55 minutes, he could not have thrown a fucking pebble in the ocean. It was brutal. And Kyle didn't help things because before the half, he sat on the ball at the end of the first half. He didn't really want to take a lot of chances. He... 
he kept having Purdy throw the ball, even though Purdy was clearly not like on his game. Sharp or whatever, yeah. Yeah. So it was like, you know, because I, I keep saying to myself and to everyone, hey, Kyle's one of the best coaches in the sport, if not the best coach, certainly the best coach in, in the NFC. But then you get to these, you know, crucial playoff games and he fucks up in the same ways every time. And that's that does get tiresome to watch because I would much rather watch them, you know, if this team was going to be cool, it would be cool if they beat the fucking shit out by 40 to 10. They don't do that in these in these critical moments. Yeah, that kind of like squeaking by thing. I think that's mainly what the issue is because they don't we were having a conversation at work about like, are there actually cool guys on the 49ers? Are they a cool team? And which is a, not an important question, but one that's the sort of thing that, that we talk about there. And I think everyone agreed that like Christian McCaffrey's pretty fucking righteous. I mean, like you can't take anything away from the guy. Debo's cool. Fred Debo's Warner's cool, cool. But is Debo going to play the rest of the playoffs? Well, that's the other thing is that Debo is a 50 50 for the NFC title game, which means that either he's not going to play or if he does play, he will be compromised. And yeah, they like are such decoying. a, they're such a weird team because they they have all pro talent everywhere. They have depth everywhere, and yet when one of their just one of their guys misses ten minutes of a game, they're fucked, and that makes no sense to me at all. But like without Debo, they were not the same team against Green Bay, yeah, and that bodes ill, I think, for them against Detroit. Yeah, because the Lions. So this is the thing. I think like for everybody, you know, like I watched the Lions win with a. Uh, friends of friends uh, but uh, like a michigan guy in tucson seeing how excited lions fans are and also which is to say like how basically out of their minds they are during those games it means a lot like yeah. to me just as a fan i want good things to happen to those people they've like basically never had anything good happen to them in their lives in a football context like they know like i was alive the last time they went to the nfc title game our own Lions fans at Defector, my three and Lauren, were not. They have and no memory. And they're like of old that. enough to rent a car. Yeah. They're grown people. Yeah. They have they jobs were, they never and shit. Thought. Yep. So, but also I think that like the Lions are, are fun. Like fucking Goff, as many negative things or whatever, or dismissive things as I'm sure we've said about him, was fucking hooping on Sunday. And the team itself is like, they're fun. Like the Niners are good and they are when everything is working right, you can appreciate what a great coach Shanahan is. It is metronomic. Everything is perfectly in sync. That's nice. I think I prefer something a little bit dumber in my good football teams. And the Lions are like right on that fucking edge. They could always, as you said last week, it's like not out of the realm of possibility. Or maybe it was Ray that said I'm it. sure it was Ray. That they could like fuck themselves just by like going for it on fourth and eight because that was the vibe at the time. But that's like something I, I want teams like that. You know, what's funny is that under Dan Campbell, when they make those decisions, they seem rash, but they almost always work. It's not the same as Sean McDermott calling a fake punt against the Chiefs that goes hideously awry yep. and changes the entire tenor of that game to the point where it ends, you know, it ends with wide right two. Um, that was kind of a gratifying, not gratifying, but it's the sort of thing where if you remember before Sean McDermott's entire career was redeemed by his team coming together. Right. That was exactly the shit that was in Tyler Dunn's article. Yeah. It had the feeling of McDermott overruling some guy because he needed to be the coach in that moment. Yeah, he's a panicky idiot. And yep. it sucks because, you know, now that Bass missed the field goal and they, you know, you know, they lose. They barely lose to the Chiefs yet again, and they do it at home in front of fans who were just dying to celebrate. And they were like, they had the snow confetti in their hands ready to go if Bass makes that field goal and ties it and they go on to win. And they they don't win. And now they're almost certainly going to run it back with McDermott as head coach, unless there's a surprise and they had Belichick ready to go, uh, you know, even before this happened. Yeah. It seems like almost the worst possible outcome they could have had to the season. I don't like saying that because I'm an anti-tanking sort of person, but like I want better for Josh Allen because he's such a cool player. Yeah. I mean, it, the team's got a ton of cool players on it. And McDermott is it's the sort of thing where I think the way that the season ended, there's not an affirmative, like obvious argument for getting rid of him. Even in the, I mean, in the case of like McCarthy and Sirianni, I think there is in both of those cases. A hundred percent. 
And they both seem to be keeping their jobs, right? I well, mean, yeah, they we bo- both have been confirmed as keeping their jobs. They are not going anywhere. Yeah, we're in kind of this weird spot right now where like most of the really good head coaching candidates are like still coaching in the playoffs, I guess, which is why the pace of hiring is slowed down, I suppose. It is, yes. Although I, I will say Kevin Clark at ESPN, he's not the ringer anymore. I got to get used to that. He was like, he was like, because because Mike McCarthy, he's going to coach the Cowboys next year, but they did not extend his contract. He's going to go into a lame duck year. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't think, or no, he didn't say I think. He's like, there has never been a coach more pre-fired than Mike Mc- yeah. Mike McCarthy. And I was like, yep, he is yeah. so, he was like, he's more pre-fired than Ron Rivera was this year. And it's hard to get more pre-fired than that. Yep. He is like <laughs> fucking done Rivera, like the team insisted that he live in like one of the like an embassy suites they were like we need we need the right to terminate this engagement at any time yeah yeah a thousand percent buy a rent a furnished apartment sir but yeah the i I think i don't for whatever frustrations you can have with shanahan he is demonstrably a notch above those guys i do feel like People are going to talk shit about him if they don't win a Super Bowl this year. I think they'll kind of be right in some ways for the reasons that you pointed out. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like, they're pretty well tethered to Brock Purdy at this point. And that is a very, very mercurial quarterback to be tethered to. Yeah, you're talking about the Niners. I I do. I want to go back to the Bills for a moment and McDermott because one of the things that Dunn wrote about in his article because you know we all paid attention to the the 9-11 story and and all of that stuff and and how Stefan Diggs couldn't stand him and all that but there was also the top line on the 9-11 story can you just give everybody one sentence on that I just love hearing it he uh in a pregame meeting he he used the 9-11 hijackers as a positive example to his team in terms of preparation and execution, literal right. execution. So that yeah. was very, very... So that's that the was, coach we're talking about. That's the head coach who's going to keep his job, is the guy that was like, you need to... Yeah. But more important was McDermott, um, you know, his defense would constantly under, underperform, and then after games, he would throw the offense under the bus and the offensive coaches, and even even Allen under the bus. And I don't... You know, he he took responsibility for the Chiefs' loss. He did all the sort of, he said all the right things and whatever. But that game, again, they could not stop Kansas City at all. And Kansas City, like, you know, I, I don't want to belabor the fact that they have no receivers, but they really, they don't have any receivers. It yeah. didn't matter. They kept, Mahomes kept being able to do his thing. And I know the Bills were undermanned because they had no linebackers who were healthy. They didn't have Tredavious White anymore. Uh, you know, they had, you know, they had signed Von Miller, so it's a great contract, but he was basically a non-factor the entire season because he was recovering from an injury. And so they were shorthanded on defense, but nothing McDermott did as the play caller on defense. Because he's like Mike Zimmer. He has to call the plays on defense, even though he's a head coach. Nothing he did mitigated any of that. There was no there was no schematic way to keep Mahomes from doing what Mahomes did. And that's on him. That's a failure on him. It's also the frustrating part with like bringing that guy back one way or the other is that like, unless you give him healthier personnel and then even then you don't know, like by the time you get to this point of the season, it's not really in your hands, whether like Matt Milano is healthy or not. It's just like, it's fucking football. He's getting in car crashes every week. That's just how it is. There's he's, if he's still making the same mistakes, then keeping Sean McDermott is basically betting that all of this shit that has like come close to working for five years but hasn't really worked is somehow going to start working, which is not the position that you want to be in. It's not because look, they stand to be significantly diminished, not just a year from now, but going forward. Because if you've seen the list of free agents that they have who might be leaving the team, it's extensive. It's Gabe Davis, it's Puna Ford, it's Micah Hyde, it's Dane Jackson, it's Shaq Lawson, it's uh it's Trent Sherfield. Like they they just they have a they were already very, very tenuous in terms of depth. This they will not get any deeper in this offseason. If they want to get any deeper, it's going to cost them out the ass. And Allen's still, you know, I think Allen's contract extension if it hasn't kicked in already, it will. He's going to keep costing a lot. And they're just not – the question is whether or not going forward – it's not just whether or not they'll have the coaching to do right by Josh Allen, but whether or not they'll be able to build a roster around Josh Allen that can withstand not just the opposition but the own sh- but their own shitty coach. Yep. And I, I yep. really hope – I want the best for them, but it, it's it's tough to see right now. Yeah, it's not a great situation to be in. I mean, it's kind of a shame, too, because it's like 
the you don't want to take anything away from the Chiefs, but I think the thing that like I don't I just would like to see the Bills in the conference championship game because like I've seen the Chiefs thing. I've seen this version of the Chiefs thing. Yeah, I'm sick but, of them. Yep. Uh, I shouldn't be sick of them, but I'm sick. I, I'm, I'm wrong about this week for the Chamberlain, but uh, I like, and I'm not even saying that because of the Taylor Swift thing. Like, she's actually a pretty good fan, right? Like, yeah. they just cut to her in the box, and she's like, she's doing all the, she's doing normal fan shit. Like, she's not doing like, she doesn't look like Nick Sirianni, like doing all the smug, weird Nick Sirianni yeah. faces and all that shit. Like, she looks like a, a, a truly invested, enthusiastic, happy fan, and that's cool. But I'm yeah. just, I can't. I don't want them in the fucking Super Bowl again. And if they play the Lions and they beat the Lions, that would fucking suck. I don't want yeah, that. Yeah, that's not what anybody wants. I mean, it's mm. different than like when it was, when the Belichick Pats would go to the Super Bowl and just like crush some team. It was like your boss showed up at your house on the weekend and kicked you in the crotch. Like it just sucked. Like it was like a reminder of like who's really in charge of stuff. Well, I, it's not I, quite actually, that way because like Mahomes is cool and like Andy Reid is cool by me, but like. Ugh, nah, well, also the two Super Bowls they won were remarkably entertaining Super Bowls. The one they lost was an awful Super Bowl, but the, the their win against the Niners and their win against the Eagles last year those were those were thrilling football yeah. games. And I will disagree with you about the Patriots because the Patriots, the majority of Super Bowls they played in, and they played in nine. They were is that, is that most of them were fantastic Super Bowls. The only one that really sucked, the one that truly sucked, was their their last one against the Rams. That was an abominable football game. Yep. It was just, just a horrible, horrible watch. And I, oh, I, I don't I, want... I'm not, I'm not quibbling on the matter of their games being low quality. Oh, so I your just result, I, not process. No, I just didn't like seeing Bill Belichick there on the sideline. Looking like <laughs> the fucking awful nephew of the tall man from phantasm wearing a, <laughs> just a, not a great energy. Oh, that's fucking great. I love it. Uh, let's, uh, Let's open up the fun bag. These are real Ooh. questions from defector readers and distraction listeners. And hey, we have some voicemails to to go through. And uh, none of these callers are calling us from Austria. But if they were, if you are in Austria, like Rob, you you can you can leave a voicemail. I'll give you the you know the Panera hotline in a second. But you know yeah. if you want, you can even leave the it what? in German, and I'll I'll translate it through Babelfish. And it will it will come out all wrong, and it'll ich be about the dick. But, yeah. I'm learning. <laughs> uh, ich ein penis pump. Anyway, let's uh, let's go to the let's go to the first voicemail. Let's go to the extensus voicemail line. Yes, yes. Sponsored by Bearback Sportsbook. It's in the bag. Hey, it's uh, Tommy from Quincy. If Brady wasn't drafted by the Patriots. Would either Belichick or Brady have a single title? Thanks. I'll hang up and listen. I actually like this question. <laughs> the Tommy from Quincy ones are always like, if I went, if I uh, dressed up like uh, Peyton Pritchard, would that be okay? Like these are, this feels like a pretty good question to me. What do you think? I, it's one of those questions that serves as perfect fodder for a bar argument because no one can prove a negative, right? Right. And, you know, we already know that Brady won a Super Bowl without Belichick. He did so mm-hmm. right after he left Belichick. He did so in Tampa. And I'd like to think I'd like and, and we saw Belichick suffer terribly without without Brady once Brady yeah, left like him. Of course, before yet. But so you can consider all of that proof, but I don't like segregating them in, in that regard. I, I do think Tom Brady was a special quarterback no matter where he played. But imagine if he got stuck with, you know. An absolutely shitty, horrible. What if Rex Ryan had been his head coach? You yeah, know? right. Like, or he's just like <laughs> Chan Gailey, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I think the odds are against Tom Brady ever getting an opportunity. Period. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's that too. Like the only reason that he got the starting job in the first place was because Mo Lewis took Drew Bledsoe and collapsed both of his lungs and like rammed his spleen through his like aorta and shit like that. Yeah. So, you know, and and even after Brady had taken over the job after that, there was a question that remained throughout the rest of that 2001 season as to whether or not Bledsoe should get his job back once he was fully healthy. And to Belichick's credit, he was like, no, I'm going to go with the hot hand and the good quarterback. He turned out to be the greatest quarterback of all time. And we've seen quarterbacks like, you know, we saw Aaron Rodgers thrive for many, many years with Mike McCarthy as his 
as his head coach. So we've seen good quarterbacks flourish despite poor coaching. Yeah. But I can't I can't know that, you know? I really I, I can't. I I think Brady would be an all-time quarterback regardless and I think Belichick you know, even just going by his defensive mind because he they were he was a, he's still a fantastic defensive coach. Like he yeah. is that team, they didn't have Matthew Judon. They didn't have Christian Gonzalez for the back half of the season. It didn't matter. They were still a fantastic defensive team with fucking weeds and garbage on that side of the ball. And that's Belichick. Like, he's very, very good at that. So yeah, I, I, I think either man's legacy would have been established perhaps in a different way had they not worked together. But there would have been a very significant impact from both of them. That's what I think. Yeah. Yep. I think that's the thing that like has tarnished Belichick the most from the last few years is that he clearly was in some ways trying to do to show that he could do the Brady thing again without Brady. Like, I feel like that was the idea was like, I'm going to get either. I mean, Mac Jones, the first round pick, but it limited quarterbacks. He wanted to win with guys that were the absolute minimum. And I think that in some ways because that would reflect well on him that like the less everybody else is doing, the more obvious it is that he's doing a lot. Uh, but it's not as easy as that. I don't even think it's that. I, I think I think that's a bit pat because not only did he draft Mac Jones in the first round, but Mac Jones had a really good f- first year. Like he was a good rookie. And he was, and I know he was limited in certain ways, but they, Josh McDaniels designed, you know, a prosperous offense around him. And then McDaniels left and went to take the Raiders job. And then the support system that Belichick replaced uh, McDaniels with for Mac Jones was abominable. It was awful. And, but if we're, if we, I'm not going to argue that that isn't kind of a pad argument, I'm aware that it's like a message board one, but also don't you think that the support system that he replaced it with could also be read in the same pat way that he's basically, if you're trying to show that you obviously like, <laughs> all right, so Mac Jones is a real quarterback now. Yes. Am I good enough to win with Joe judge calling the plays? Am I that good? The answer is no, nobody is, but it is like, it all feels like, be- I mean, or it's just the indulgence of a guy that's been very successful and is allowed to make all of his own decisions. It doesn't necessarily have to be pointed towards one narrative outcome or another, but yes, there is a a great deal of uh, Belichick letting Belichick do too much Belichick shit. Yeah. He's just, he's just a guy who does not welcome outside voices. And so, you know, and that that's been reported that, you know, if he goes to the Falcons, he's going to bring Patricia judge and McDaniels with him, which is like, wow. And then by contrast, you have Jared Mayo who took, the job from Belichick in New England. And I was a little scared, like, okay, well, that means he's not going to clean out, you know, sort of the human cobwebs on staff. That's actually not what's happened. He's he's interviewing outside offensive coordinators. He's saying, look, we got we got to spend some fucking money. We got we to overhaul this roster. So he is saying and doing all the right things right now. And it feels as if, even though he is a Belichick disciple, that you are not getting the Belichick disciple uh, side effects. Now, I'm right. saying all of that, in fucking January, you know, eight months before the, you know, the next season starts and he could prove it's to better be better than getting bug. a, a Belichick disciple as opposed to like a Belichick clone. That feels like a different yeah. thing. Like all of the, it's like the assistants that he's thrown off that have become head coaches. All of them seem to be trying to do like they're, they're copying his mannerisms, it seems, and his sort of ticks as much as they are any of his, I mean, and that's they don't have the his easier mind. part to copy. You can't be as brilliant as him, but you can fuck your sweatshirt up in the same way that he does. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think we have time for uh, one more voicemail. Let's do one more voicemail, and then I'm going to eat lunch. Hi, this calls primarily for Ross. I just want to tell you, my father lives in North Bergen, New Jersey. He's 59 years old, has a flat top, is 100% Irish, but says Mutzarel, and his dry cleaner is Tommy DeVito's godmother. All right, bye. Fucking wow. That is Isn't that a lot of flawless. I'm doing the escalating Vince McMahon reaction meme. And certainly the <laughs> the Tommy DeVito's uh relative is the dry cleaner, is the one where I fall over backwards in my chair there. My parents are also speaking of uh stealing Neapolitan accent valor, my mom, who is you know, Jewish, 79 years old, Bergen County, New Jersey, will periodically be like, you know, hit me with the Muzadel. And I'm like, you know how to say it. Ah. Like, 
Like, what are you being polite to me? Like, I look, we have friends, parents who say it like that. You don't need to, yeah, I guess you could say it around them, but we don't need to code switch in our household. You could just say all the letters if you want. Are you, are you more offended by Italians in the Tri-State area who are fake Italian? Yes. Or Wait, by non-Italians <laughs> who are fake Italian in the Tri-State area? Uh, so there's different levels of it to me. Um, great question, Drew. Thank you. <laughs> there's, you're welcome. I've been trying to explain, uh, like there's a certain type of high school football person in New Jersey. And then this is, I think it's not, you know, like fake Italian. It goes a bunch of ways, right? Like you could pretty much accuse me of that. Cause like all of my favorite foods are Italian foods and everybody that I was friends with growing up was Italian more or less. Uh, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not trying to like act like them or, you know, wear a chain, I guess would be a good example of me trying to put the culture. I think so too, but uh, I was told in no uncertain terms that that's not my style. But the, the thing that like actually gets my back up with this is the certain, it's like Don Bosco football booster dads that are like, they're an orthodontist. They live someplace, but they like to act like they're connected or something. Like there's like an element of (laughs) like putting on, do you remember the, the, uh, Tony Soprano's next door neighbor, Cusimano. Yeah. It's the like the Coos imitation to me is offensive. The idea of like showing up at a game to watch a team where like your kid isn't on it. You're just there because they're like good. And then just like saying a bunch of like weird, stupid, uh, like off the rack boilerplate fake gangster shit. That's actually like offensive in a couple of different ways. And a lot of those people are Italian. It's just the idea that you have to dial it up to make it seem like you're not somebody who golfs, but you're secretly somebody who's like shooting spider in the basement of the club with like Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. Right. Fake mobbed up people. Yeah, yeah. that's tacky. Do you have a, a thought on this one? What's your... Uh... I, I worked with one person who was Italian who was fake Italian and did the, hey, I'm fucking Italian. Madonna. Like called everyone doll, oh, doll face. I fucking love you. And I'm like, oh my God. And I'm like. <laughs> so you were, you and Sebastian Maniscalco worked together? Yeah, at, yeah. Uh, very much in that Sebastian Maniscalco. And Maniscalco is from fucking Arlington Heights, Illinois. Yep. Like, get the fuck out of here, man. Like, hey, he's got these hippies at the Whole Foods. It is such a weird thing that you can still make a living doing it. Because you make a great living, too. Like, Maniscalco makes millions of dollars a year to show up someplace and be like, oh, and everybody's like, oh, my God, I can't believe he did it. He made the yeah. sound. Well, someone I knew in comedy called him Walmart Dice Clay, and I thought that was so good. <laughs> I really, really liked yep. that. Because, you know, because now, he's my, you know, my father, he he wouldn't, he wouldn't let, he wouldn't drive us to school. We had to fucking hitchhike. And now kids today, fucking pussies. Yeah, great stuff, sir. Thank you. Terrific. Yeah. I love acting like I'm 30 years older than I am. That's such a fun way yeah. to relate to an audience. Yeah, he's, he's very good in terms of delivery, but all of the all of the writing is straight out of fucking 1991. You know, he's also good in the, he has a part in The Irishman, like an acting part, and he does a pretty good job. Like, he's like, I, he is murdered at Umberto's Clam House, as I recall. I don't remember the name. It's like Crazy Joe Gallo or, like, one of the big gangster assassinations of my youth. And they, like, Scorsese did some weird casting in that. Uh, like, Action Bronson has a speaking part in The Irishman. There's a lot of weird shit in there. It's a very long movie. But Maniscalco's not bad. It's But it is the sort of thing where, like, he's playing somebody who's incredibly overstated. And I imagine that Scorsese was just like, just do you, man. Well, <laughs> like, oh, right, because it's a bit part, right? It's not yeah. like a sitcom. It's not like he did some sitcom movie with De Niro or something like that that looked like an absolute piece of shit. Like I'm not yeah. like, no, he should it, ten minutes or less. It's like when when Michael Mann stunt casts like Debbie Mazur for like five minutes, and or like Henry Rollins, like, and it's like yeah. it turns from sort of like a curious casting choice to sort of a brilliant one because you're you're using them in a very specific way for a very specific reason for a very short amount of time. And you know small dose pe- performers when you see them. It's really, yeah. really good. Debbie Mazar is a good actress. I want to make that clear. But yeah, I do think you that, know, I, I shouldn't have. But I Henry Rollins is in Heat is perfect because it's basically like you're casting like a photo of Henry Rollins. You just, you can't do that. You have to bring the real guy in. But what you want is someone who's like staring in a really intense, angry looking way. Yeah, and he's, and he's next to William Fickner who's like a great character actor. And they're- yep perfect to go that's great uh we have to go eric silver is our producer brandon grugel 
is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. By William Fitchner. Ads and production services by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defected.com right now. The future of journalism depends on you doing it. Just go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-Panera0. Do it even if you're from Austria. You're, we welcome all, all international callers you'll be charged some sort of horrible fee but whatever enjoy the conference championships everybody and we will see you back here next week bye roth bye thank you